out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastor. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of the guitarist and songwriter Peter Aaron, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. One time member of Sand in the Face and also known as the singer and guitarist with the New York band Chrome Cranks. So this is the interview. Plus he's done lots of other stuff as well. But you're going to find out more about that in the interview. So after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years. So Peter, tell us more. Tell us now. Um, well, actually, I was born in uh, 1964 also. Oh, right. uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously over here, the, the glam rock uh, thing didn't quite take off in, in the level that it did in England. Um, but my, um, my, my, you know, what really got me interested in, um, in rock and roll was the Monkees TV series. Yes, we love the monkeys. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, it made being in a band look really fun and and uh, glamorous, and and uh, like you would be chased around by by girls, and you yes. know, um, at that point, you know, weren't sure exactly what all the benefits of that might have been, but um, but uh, but yeah, that was it. I mean, you know. Before that, there was uh, there was a show called the Banana Splits. I was going to mention the Banana Splits because that was yeah, kind yeah. of those two things seemed made America look very very exciting from us over in the UK. So yes, the Banana Splits, one banana, two banana, yeah. three banana. First, first uh, concert I went to, in 1968. I was four years old. My my mother took uh, me and my friend, uh, you know, first friend I had from across the street. Uh, to see the banana splits. Oh my God, that is so cool. <laughs> that is such a great thing to do. I think a few years later, we had something called the Wombles, which was very exciting with Mike Bat. So, um, mm-hmm. the Wombles, but you probably can't remember the Wombles. So, did you come from quite a musical family? Uh, well, first, I'll just say I know about the Wombles. I know Chris Bedding was a, was a, a Womble for a little yes, bit. Yes, he was the guitar um, player. Yeah, yeah. Um, musical family, not so much. Uh, I, I mean, my, my parents were, uh, you know, they had some records around the house. Um, when they were young enough uh, at the age where they were kind of, you know, their era was like the folk era, but right. it was it was more the polite folk, like Limelighters, Kingston Trio type Pete, stuff. What about Pete, Paul, and Mary? Um, I don't remember them being that into them, I think. Peter, Paul, and Mary were, um, you know, kind of the King, the Limelighters and the Kingston Trio were, uh, they they were having fit hits a little bit before Peter, Paul, and Mary, um, right. if I'm right. And uh, uh, so, you know, I, I think I'm sure they would have thought they were fine, but I don't remember them having any of their records around the house. And and mm. even then, even then, they didn't really listen to much music that, you know, they show tunes and my dad had like, some Enoch Light records to, you know, kind of um, just because that they were fun to listen to on a, on the early hi-fi stereo yeah. equipment, you know. And did you um, have any other brothers and sisters who were into music? Uh, I was the oldest, 
So right. I, I, you know, I didn't really have anyone to, to learn, learn from. I didn't, I didn't have any uh, cool, you know, older siblings who were getting into, you know, the cool music and passing it down to me. Um, it, it, you know, it, and I, and it's interesting also, I was at the age where, when I was really started to really be conscious of music and there was a lot of, uh, a lot of comedy, the comedy shows that were on TV were sort of um, tackling the generation gap. And from the way I was getting it, it was, it was coming to me like, well, the popular thing is to be into groovy rock and roll and the, uh, the, um, uh, I, the outsider thing is to be into like older music and so I was kind of confused, you know, I, I, I was an outsider, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I also was younger, you know, yes. so it took me a little while to work that out, you know. <laughs> That's so confusing. Were you into things like, is it Soupy Sales, Soapy Sales? He was Soupy fun- Sales, he was a little before my time, you know, I kind of knew about him, um, Oh boy, you know, I'm, I'm like in in the scheme of things, I'm trying to think of what else would have been on, like uh, that would have that would be known on the national level. Um, kids shows like Sesame Street, or you know, this is really going really back back there, you know. Yes, well, I remember we had things like was it Bing Crosby and um, Bob Hope doing Road to Morocco, and and uh, oh yeah, and, yeah, and that sort stuff of stuff was on. And uh, yeah, the um, Laurel and Hardy was another one that we used to watch a lot. When sure, yeah, that and uh, the the um, the East Side Kids reruns with like Hunts Hall and uh, uh, Leo Carosi and yes. um, and uh, the Little Rascals reruns and and uh, of course like major were were the were the uh, Looney Tunes Warner Brothers cartoons that were, oh yes of course yeah. we had um yeah. yes Scooby, scooby-doo was the one wasn't it really yeah there you that go was Han- that was hanna-barbera that so that was like sort of the made the saturday morning um 70s made you know for saturday morning yes uh, shows and, and and i that was that was definitely crucial stuff but the we were seeing uh cartoons that were made in the 1930s and 40s that were shown as uh uh, at, at uh, movie theaters originally, the Bugs Bunny, the Looney Tunes stuff, Daffy Duck, um, the you know the Road Runner. Oh yeah, um, Road Runner. You know, <laughs> yeah, and Bugs Bunny was you know he was irreverent and always getting into trouble, and he was a real punk, you know. So he was, he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, was it Soupy or Soapy Sales? Soupy Sales. You know, he's the father of of both the Sales brothers who were with... Um, Hunt and Tony, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With, with dear old Iggy and then David Bowie and Tim Machine. That was just amazing, yeah. really. I did an yeah. inter- interview with Hunt. He was quite an amazing character. Wow. Living That's in great. a shack somewhere, playing drums. But yeah, so when you got to the age of 10, which was like 1974, obviously, you know, as, as sort of mentioned, we you know, I was very into that glam period at the time with... Mm-hmm. And just chart music. Though I had an older brother who was who who was seven years older, who who introduced me to the world of prog rock with things like Yes and Genesis and Wishbone Ash mm-hmm. and people like that. I mean, what were you sort of listening to when you got to the mid seventies? 
Uh, 74, I mean, you know, music was definitely not that big a part of my life yet at that point. I mean, my life was, was centered around, um, you know, it was was not, definitely not centered around playing sports outdoors with the other kids. It was more centered around, uh, uh, hanging out in my, my parents' basements and, and, and building model kits and, uh, uh reading books about world war ii military history that was what i was really interested in yeah you know war movies and all that stuff was like you know that was you know did you get did you used to get things like the 633 squadron and the battle of britain and the great escape because this is what we used to grow you know we grew up on greatest great escape was definitely one of my favorite movies uh the longest day um hogan's heroes which was a comedy that was a big that was a big thing growing there's a show called there's a show called combat that uh vic morrow was the store star of and that was you know just your sort of basic drama you know uh you know drama series you know world war ii series yes. um i mean you know i sort of kind of kiss kiss caught my my attention uh, you know very um uh lots of action with kiss and explosions and and uh and that you know so i was sort of peripherally interested in that mainly because a lot of my friends were were into that but but so much of the the rock and roll that i was aware of um it still seemed like big kids music to me Mm -hmm. you know i mean you know the, the the stones and and the beatles and led zeppelin and the who and all that um you know i i i i kind of dabbled in it and liked it a little bit but i i it wasn't until later on after i'd been through the punk thing and and kind of followed the the roots back as it were that i felt any kind of connection to that music yeah um and it wasn't until until punk happened that i felt any connection to music really just briefly did you grow up in cincinnati then um i moved i i grew up in uh, the answer to that is partially. Uh, I, 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 when I was 16, we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. But before that, uh, I w- had grown up in a suburb of New York City in New Jersey. Right. It was about a, you know, a half an hour from New York City. Uh, on a clear day, you could see the New York skyline from my front yard. Uh, actually watched them build the World Trade Center, uh, you know, uh, uh, from from that distance as a kid yeah uh yeah so that so that was a, definitely a culture shock going from you know basically a, a suburb of new york city where a lot of people commuted to work uh and obviously the area was much more um you know there was a lot more uh stores and all of that denser population and then moving there to cincinnati which is you know a, a decent sized city in the midwest but still removed from a from a lot of the cultural uh you know stuff that goes on in america yeah absolutely no it's just kind of you know the connection between the great escape and steve mcqueen but he was in one of my favorite films called the cincinnati kid so oh yeah yeah yep yep great one um edward edward g robinson margaret and margaret is in it as well and tuesday wild it's just an amazing film but yes so then 1980 
you, we hit 16, don't we? I can say we, because we're yep. the same age, which was kind of a major moment, because for me, you know, you can leave school at that age or try and stay on a bit longer if you want to go to college and stuff like that. And also politically, things changed in the UK quite a lot, because we suddenly got a, a conservative government that was going to be in for decades. on, And there was yeah. also a lot of unemployment in the UK during that time. So a lot of the bands that I've interviewed, basically, from that early period, they were most, you know, a lot of people were just unemployed. So they was just, it was easy to get unemployment benefit in those days. And there was lots of schemes to sort of basically massage the unemployment figures. But basically, there was just lots of people. So there was, that's one of the reasons there were so many indie pop punk bands that came out of Britain during that period because they didn't seem like there was much future and there wasn't much going on so opportunities were zero so what was it like for you in 1980 and at that stage I guess you could have left school if you wanted to oh you know I it would have been a major drama if I did you know I mean I, I was still lived at home with my parents uh, of course and you know the whole idea was that everybody would go to college after after high school, you know, which, and, and I did for a couple of years, but, uh, you know, 1980 it was like, I was growing up in, I was in the suburbs and, uh, there weren't a lot of, uh, freaks like me. There weren't, uh, you know, there was, as far as other punks in, in the school, there was maybe like two or three other kids, you know, yeah. um, you know, so, so I, I was an outsider and I, and I was wanting to express myself and, and then that's right when I started playing music right around that time, you know, I got my first band and, and, yeah. uh, so how did you, and how did the, was it the bass guitar that you, you originally got? I did. I started on bass guitar, uh, well, um, one, because it only had four strings and I figured it was easy and I wouldn't have to learn chords. Yes. And, uh, and then two also, um, you know, that's what Sid played and that's what, Didi Ramon played and Paul Simonon and and they were they were the cool coolest guys I thought and <laughs> you know so um so that was part of the draw and and plus also there was already a guitar player for the band and and you know it was just a natural thing and I didn't yeah I played bass in other bands after that but uh it definitely did not become a, a bass player per se it was just sort of like a way to get into things you know Yes. So was your first band Sand in the Face? Or was that was it... the first one, yeah. Right. So how did that kind of come about? Uh, well, there was, you know, a, a couple other kids that were into punk in school. And, uh, you know, we, we, we just felt this burning need to express ourselves and, 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 and make some noise. And, uh, very much inspired by the clash and and uh, like i said in the ramones and um uh for me though my my the, the great hinge of my life was seeing elvis costello on on saturday night live that's what really did it for me um because you know i was i was basically a nerd and here was this guy that looked kind of looked like a nerd and he was and he was and he was he was angry and he was pissed off and he didn't care what people thought thought of him and he was he was right up in there in the camera yes. and uh you know and this is coming from the what was being presented uh, as a rock star was someone with feathered hair that looked like they should be in sticks and wore gauze shirts and and puka shells and that never felt like me um so uh, you know the next day i brought 
I went out and bought Elvis Costello's, uh, you know, first couple records or no, actually the first one, because uh, the second one wasn't out at the time of that broadcast. And then um, the, the next week after that, it was, you know, the Clash and the Ramones and the Pistols and, and Devo and uh, the Jam and the Dictators. And I don't, I don't know what yes. exact order, but, you know. Well, it's interesting because um, I think was Elvis Costello's first album was that called Trust? No, his first album was My Aim Is True. My Aim Is True. Is Trust, that the one? Trust is his fourth album. God, I'm such a fan. I did an interview with Pete yeah. Tom Thomas yeah. recently, which was nice. Um, wow. Who's an expert on Bruce Lee? There you go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he I got mugged. He got what? He got mugged one night and decided to do self-defense and become a kind of. Um, Kung Fu kind of expert and then he's written two couple of books on Bruce Lee but wow. I was just gonna say his first album he doesn't have the attractions it's a band called Clover I believe right he kind of was it Huey Lewis's and the news that that was his band wasn't it I, I yeah see. that was yeah that was his band and and uh and he knew Huey Lewis because uh Huey Lewis and Clover you know they started in San Francisco and they they moved to London because they were sort of, you know, they were sort of R&B-ish and they kind of fit in with the, with the pub rock thing that was kind of going on around that time. And Huey Lewis, actually, he worked at, um, was it Rock On Records, I think, which was, uh, I believe it was Rock On Records, which was, um, which was, I think, in Camden Town. And it was, uh, you know, kind of one of the uh, very influential record stores uh, as far as, uh, you know, bringing punk into existence in England. Yeah. And it was, it was run by, it was, it was run by uh, Ted Carroll who started Chiswick Records. Oh, Ted Carroll. We love him, don't we? I, I believe in Chiswick, actually Ted Carroll ran, he ran a stall in Portobello Market um, and then started Chiswick out of that. And I, I, I might be wrong about some of that, but anyway, I know Lou Lewis or you Lewis was, was there, um, you know, kind of working and that sort of, he kind of knew Elvis and the stiff guys through that, I guess. Yes. I think Elvis brought out some badges or some merchandise and was an Elvis is a stiff. And I think Elvis Presley died that week and they went, oh dear, that's yeah. unfortunate. Time, it's all about time. It's all about timing, isn't it really? So then when you're, so you, were you in Sand in the Face for their first album or did you leave by then? I'd left by them. Um, my family had moved to to Ohio, um, and they went on for a couple of years after that and recorded an album with a later lineup. Although um, a few years back, I uh, before I moved to Ohio, we recorded a demo tape, and a couple of those songs ended up on a compilation. And then just a few years back, I put together an album that. Well, uh, Sand in the Face archival album that had the complete session that I did with them, plus a Fantastic. couple of other things that were done after I left. Yeah. Yes, but it's always nice to do some archiving anyway. So, how did your the all sort of the first kind of, I guess not proper band, but you know the the one that sort of is is the one that takes you through the eighties? How did that come about? Uh, the Crom Cranks you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that started in Cincinnati um in the late in 1988 was really kind of the very beginning of that band and i i had been in boston for 
a couple of years because I went to I went to Boston University from '83 to '85, and I just didn't enjoy being in college, and uh, uh, it felt like kind of a you know um, it didn't really feel that much different from high school. Yes. You know, except I could sleep in and no one would yell at me. Um, Did you? Were you in any bands during that time? Uh, I was in a couple campus bands that, you know, played a couple gigs, but we never did, you know, really anything to amount to anything or recorded anything. Yes. Uh, so then, but then I, I, I moved, I, I, after, after I dropped out, I moved back to Cincinnati and I started uh, doing a radio show and I had been doing a fanzine on and off for a couple of years. Um, and then uh, I started working at clubs and booking shows. Uh, so that's why I was occupying myself. And then sort of in between there, I, you know, I decided to, yeah, I, I had been in a band. I had been in a hardcore band in Cincinnati called Sluggo, which was the first hardcore band in Cincinnati uh, between my two years at college. Uh, but uh, then I, 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 after booking shows for a few years, I kind of got more and, and more into uh, wanting to start my own band. And that's, that's when the Chrome Cranks, started there was there's a little little overlap with the uh with the booking uh the club booking stuff and the beginning of the chrome cranks yes. and yeah so then then after i got out of booking shows i stuck around cincinnati for a couple of years and tried to make the chrome cranks happen there but it was difficult there just wasn't really enough people that understood what we were trying to do uh to make the band you know a, a viable entity and uh, so the the other guitar player and I moved to New York City in '92. Mm, and, so um, yeah. What sort of bands were you booking for for your venue? Uh, well, I booked a few different venues, but uh, I booked Nirvana on their first couple tours. Um, were they zombie? Were they supporting? Lifts. Were they supporting Tad on that tour? Uh, no, they were on their own. They were supporting Bleach. Um, although I did book Tad, because um, they, they came to Norwich the first time, and and they were supporting, you know, Nirvana was supporting right. Tad as a sub pop, you know, and they that was the Bleach album. They was uh, with their original drummer as well. So um, right, I remember when that was happening because I was actually uh, road managing the Afghan Whigs in America while that tour was happening in England. Right, and we met up with uh, Jonathan Poneman from sub pop at one of the shows and he was telling us about about how that was happening and and uh i guess that started out with tad as the headliner and then midway through the tour uh nirvana was headlining over tad <laughs> yeah <clears throat> yeah because funny enough i did an i did the interview with um nirvana on that one and it was because i i, I didn't really know tad but i'd I love bleach i thought it was a great album and yeah. the person who was running the fan team was like, right, I'm going to get the headline. You can have the support band. And I sort of did this interview. And, wow. I, managed, and I still got the cassettes, you know, 45 minutes of us waffling on about life in 1989. So um, wow. Wow. it's quite funny. So, um, yeah. yes, I was probably the only, one of the few people who had to ask who was who in the band. Because, you know, because there was no idea of who, what sure. they looked like particularly. And, um, yes, it did yeah. smile when I heard it. So there you go. Kurt wow. Cobain talk about living under a bridge in... 
Seattle. That was all right. Wow. Really. Yes, so there you go. So yeah, right. so you were you were definitely there at the right time because because in the UK, you know, I mean, on the simplistic level of the eighties, I mean, you know, we had that punk and post punk period, and then and there was lots of scenes like there was there was goth and there was this new mm -hmm. scene, and then there'd been a a rockabilly scene and psychobilly, and then there was like. Mm -hmm. You know, but there was a real indie world that appeared in the sort of the 80, 83 period, 83 to 87. That was the years of the Smiths. And yeah, I, was yeah. really, I was a really big fan of the Smiths and all that kind of jingly jangly kind of guitar based pop, which, you know, like Lloyd Cole and the June Brides and the Go-Betweens and the Chills mm -hmm. and all those kind of bands. So I thought it was a great period. But then in the UK, 87, you know, the Smiths break up and that felt like a bit of a moment. And then the next wave of, 16 to 18 year olds come along and there's this kind of wave of ecstasy starts to appear you know the next generation yeah. want to start dancing to the the sound of the happy mondays and the orb and um the soup dragons and stone roses you know there was definitely a different shift and then towards the end of that decade there was this seattle kind of grunge scene that started to appear as well so there was a yeah, lot of yeah. different musical styles so you were obviously yeah. part of that kind of more grunge kind of episode that yeah was yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned like the Manchester stuff, like you guys kind of lost me on that because the beats were too similar to disco for me and, and disco <laughs> was something we were trying to get away from. But, 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 um, and I was, you know, so I don't know how much ecstasy had to really do with, you know, appreciation of it. I, I was, I never got into drugs, you know, so that wasn't really, that didn't really influence what I listened to. Um, but, but yes, so for me, it's interesting because especially being in a smaller town, is you know people sort of split hairs and i'm writing about this now because i'm i'm putting together a second volume of this uh compilation of um uh earlier cincinnati punk and and underground underground stuff uh for for the hozak and Sh shake it record labels okay. and it, it, it's called we were living in cincinnati and the second one is going to be we were living in cincinnati volume two um but you know we saw kind of all that stuff as one thing, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the post punk and, and, and punk and, and, uh, uh, you know, whatever was happening in that sort of, you know, 76 through 81 period, um, you know, we were, we saw that as one thing. We didn't, we, we weren't sort of splintered into tribes or anything, you know, because it was all outsider music and it was against, it was in, in it was in flying in the face of Kansas or, or, um, you know, Journey or Billy Joel or Jan Fogelberg or whatever the hell else, you know, shit, we, you know, was, was being crammed down our throats. Um, and, and, and I kind of came into the punk thing being just a couple of years too young to really be an active part of it. You know, I, I started going to Max's Kansas City. This is why we still lived in New Jersey. And I started going to into the New York to go to Max's Kansas City and CBGB. And, Did you um, go to the Mud Club? No, I didn't go to the Mud Club. That was that I never made it there. It, it didn't last long enough to to where I even was able to find it. And um you weren't you weren't part yeah. of the, you weren't part of part of the danceteria crowd in Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, not Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, that definitely would have been anathema to us. Um, you know, danceteria checked out. You know, Peppermint Lounge. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, and, and, and but I was too young to be, you know, I, I was still sort of, you know, I was so young that I wasn't yet in a band and doing it myself yet. And then the age when I actually started playing in a band in Santa Fe was, that was like late 1979. We started out learning Ramon songs and some Devo songs and Wild Thing or whatever, Louie did Louie. You, did, you you know. did you ever play anything by the police? Didn't play any police. We loved the police when they first came out though, those first couple records you know the sort of punkier stuff yes the um, yeah 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 and i'll honor some more but but then uh what happened was we were learning that stuff and then we started hearing the very early hardcore and that would then all of a sudden you know all, all everything we were doing got faster and that was like uh you know that was that was something that i could be directly a part of as it was beginning and that was, and it also was like, hey, you know, this is like that old punk stuff, but it's even harder. And it's yes. even more, you know, there's even more aggression that we can get out. Um, so that was kind of my generation. So were, uh, bands, were bands like Husker Do, because this is kind of probably why one of my favorite bands of the 80s was Husker Do. And, um, oh, yeah, yeah. and that, that kind of period, and there was Speak Black, who I didn't yeah. love quite as much, but there was a couple of songs I thought were amazing. Yeah, yeah, and then it was, um, yeah. I su I suppose there was a bit of a thrashy sound because then there was Sonic Youth and the Butthole Surfers. And yeah, well, that, that's the way it went for me. It was like you know, we went through the hardcore thing, and then we sort of got to the end as far as um, it, at least you know those those of us who were, you know, kind of part of the beginnings of hardcore. Um, we wanted something different after a couple years of of that. Uh, you know, have to go somewhere else. And some of us went more into the sort of um, speed metal tangent. Yes. And then some of us went more into the uh, noise rock tangent. Like I said, you know, Sonic Youth, Big Black, Butthole Surfers, uh, Scratch Acid, uh, all that. And, and, you know, what kind of became the, the Seattle uh, yes. sound, you know. I suppose because um, in London there was a bit of a the, the, the bands of that late 80s were people like um my bloody Valentine and there was some mm. really smaller bands like Silverfish and the Faith Healers, but there was a bit of a noise like Lush, but they started yeah. to get a bit more of a cleaner sound in the 90s. So there was a you know, and there was really yeah, shoegazing. And um yeah, and then there was other bands who were quite thrashy, but they were probably very British, like Snuff. You did some, I remember the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know, I suppose they had that a bit like um, bad religion bands like that. Really, quite fast. We liked fast bands. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. and and cool. one of my favourite ones was Bong Water, which were good fun. Oh yeah, yeah. They yeah they were great. Yeah, you know it, you know Dinosaur Junior certainly an important band too. Oh God, oh, yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. they did they did blow our minds. So yes, so then another decade, the nineties. So you 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 formed the band by the late eighties anyway. The crowd. Yeah, crowd. and then it became it became a real band when we moved to New York. Uh, William Weber, the other guitarist, and I uh, moved to, moved moved to New York in 1992, and we got there uh, just as another band we knew the honeymoon killers who i i had booked uh shows by in in the midwest uh just as they were breaking up and their singer and guitar player is a guy named jerry teal 
and William and I were already playing guitar. We invited Jerry to play bass in uh, in the Chrome Cranks, and he was, you know, his band, the Honeymoon Killers, had, had broken up, so it, it, he was looking for something new. And uh, we had a couple different drummers. Uh, we 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 recorded a four song demo tape before we moved to New York, and that got us a deal with an uh, indie label in New York. And uh, we had a, a couple different drummers and uh, did some singles and recorded the, our first album. And then the drummer we had on that album left the band just as it was coming out. And uh, we managed to talk uh, Bob Burt into being our drummer. And Bob had most recently, he'd led his own band called Bewitched, but he'd been in Pussy Galore before that and then before Pussy Galore he was in Sonic Youth so that was a real coup for us to get him in the band and we started touring then and uh, things just kind of built from there. Yes and you had a split you know you had a um, was this Vice Squad? Vice Squad Dick which was yeah that was a split record with Fetus. Fetus oh I did an interview with Fetus uh, probably last year 18 months ago. Jim Jim, Jim what a star, yeah. what a man. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yes, that was, he is a legend. Yeah, so that, did that sort of, where did you record that, by the way? Where, which... we, recorded, we recorded that in New York, and that was interesting because um, that was a cover song by an, an early uh, punk band from the Baltimore area, I believe, called Dick Uranus. Hmm. And I think they play, I think they also were known as Dick Uranus and the All Night Nurses. And uh, this song, the song we heard because uh, a roommate of uh, the guy who ran the label we were on, PCP Entertainment, his roommate was Johann Kugelberg, who, uh, well, among other things, uh, was a, a big punk collector of obscure punk records. And he had this cassette that he was playing at this party that had that song on it. And both Jim and I, you know, we were both at the party, Thurwell and I, and we heard the song at the same time. And we both kind of made jokes about how we thought it would be, you know, we should rip off this song for, for you know, we should steal, we should steal this rip. And then we just, that sort of turned into, well, you know what, we should both do the cover of the song. And uh, PK, the guy that ran the label whose apartment we were at said, okay, well, if you cover this each cover the song i'll put out a split single and uh so that's how that happened um and it, the song the recording had a skip so my challenge to jim was okay we'll both cover but we have to play the skip it's in, it's in, so we did that and then and then the label wanted to kind of blow that split single up into uh, a four song cd because cds were getting you know more distribution then and uh, I had the idea, well, why don't we each also cover a, another song from the same era? Yes. And, and uh, Fetus did a cover of uh, Von Elmo's song called Outside of Time. And the Chrome Cranks did uh, Little Johnny Jewel by television. Cool. Um, so, yeah. Did you, that's... did you ever use the uh, that studio in New York? BC, is it BC? Martin BC studio? Never recorded at BC. Um uh, you know, I've been there, it was run by Martin BC, have been been there a lot. Uh, we recorded at Waterworks Studio, 
which used to be in the meat packing district down on the lower west side of the city. Uh, now he's in uh, the now this that studio is in uh, Tucson, Arizona now. Uh, but we recorded our first album there and some other things. And while we were doing that, uh, we were uh, also building our own studio. That William, the other guitar player, and Jerry, the bass player, uh, built a studio called Fun House in the space where we rehearsed. And so from, from henceforth, we recorded everything that we did in there in our own studio. Oh, that's a good that's a good move, actually. So when you brought yeah. back the your the first album, had you um had that was that a good experience? When 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 it came out? Yes. Oh yeah, it was it was, you know, it, it got uh uh praise and and attention and you know excited coverage right away. And we we went on tour, it was you know, did our, our first tours then. Uh yeah, which is still you're still an indie band and you're still playing small clubs and and uh, but you know it was it, you know it was it was it was great and and people still love that album. It got reissued in oh, I want to say like 2014 or 2012. Yes. Does it feel kind of because that, that's because you mentioned Puss, Pussy Galore and I know a few years I can't remember really. But I got into them a bit later, which was John Spencer's Blues Explosion. So you sort of captured that fantastic kind of, I don't know, that garage rock blues kind of slightly sort of, I don't know, sleazy vibe. You know, you, yeah, yeah. Sort of, you bring it out so well. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely, you know, being being the songwriter and I don't know, a quote unquote conceptualist or whatever. I mean, that was definitely a powerful thing. Me coming from the punk and hardcore background, and then sort of it hitting me that um, uh, when you bring the blues element into things, it makes the music uh, gives it so much more depth, and um, and and makes it so much more adds adds so much dimension, and and uh, you know you just it it just brings in this whole uh, kind of uh, a different emotional and, and deeper emotional palette that than you had would have had with you know just um staying in the punk pocket the straight up punk pocket so so to say so um you know things like the stooges and suicide and the gun club and the doors and the birthday party and um the scientists certainly uh you know really kind of finding that you know, just sort of like, why, why is their music so much more profound? And then, you know, just sort of hitting me like, well, because it draws on the blues and, and uh, it, it has an elasticity to it uh, and, and, and um, less of a predictability to it. And that keeps, that keeps, uh, that keeps tension going and, and drama and, and gives it more resonance and power and, and, uh, speaks speaks to more different places in the human condition yeah so that was that was key yeah absolutely were you during the 80s did you go through a bit of a tom waits phase i just wondered if you were into some of his oh, uh, lyrics and imagery oh yeah yeah especially bone machine i mean that was that was a uh uh, uh you know a very much um a, a powerful uh kind of life changer when that came out 
Yes. Yeah. You also did a split, another split single, didn't you, with Kim, Kim Salmon and the Surrealists? We did, yeah, yeah. That was um, that came out uh, concurrently with the with the tour that we did with Kim Sam, Kim Salmon and the Surrealists in America, um, which was which was a big deal. The scientists were, you know, favorite band and a uh, huge influence on on all of us. So that was a real. Um, you know that that was just an incredible incredible thing you know yes yeah i did a, it's funny i did an interview with him recently and then sort of realized i must have seen him i don't know he was on a support with somebody else i thought oh my god i can remember now we we saw you know they were having lots of problems with their drummers as well yeah oh yeah 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 <laughs> it seems to be a familiar theme doesn't it drumming i think they eventually yeah. had to get some some either one of the girlfriends had the drum on the album and just said, or they'd on the live tour because it was like, you know, we can't, we've got no chance of, of getting replacements. Mm. I'll have to listen to the interview again. But then, yes, that's live. Because what I've noticed with a lot of bands, there is a sort of bit of a, I suppose in the 80s, I know you're more, you know, you, you sort of came apart around in the more the 90s, but we had the, you know, the gatekeepers in the UK at that time. You know, we had three weekly music papers and then we had, you know, certain people like John Peel and, Janice Long and Kid Jensen. Did you did you also have a sort of an ability to sort of get the music out there and your band out there kind of quite easily? Uh, as far as my my own band, yeah, um, with your own band. No, it, it was it was always an uphill. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think about it's interesting. Like I, I talk about this 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 demo tape that we did, a four song four song tape that we recorded in Cincinnati, William and I with a couple, you know, sort of fill in people playing on it uh, right before we moved to New York. And that was how that and and the knowledge that uh, Jerry from the Honeymoon Killers had started playing with us, that that was what got us the attention from the first label that we were on. Um, but I also, I sent that cassette into uh cmj magazine the college music journal which was the, the you know we had college radio here which was what played the non non-mainstream music uh and it was a chart magazine that all the college stations across the country referred to and that tape ended up being featured on the cover every week on the cover they would have a top demo pick of demo tapes that came in and the Chrome Cranks cassette uh, got highlighted on that on that. And you know, we had like, you know, that week we had every major label calling my apartment, you know, wanting to get a copy of the tape, you know. Uh and then uh uh at the same time that, that was happening, there was a uh one of the two big industry conventions that would happen in New York was there was a new music seminar, and then CMJ had a convention, and those were uh you know, it would be take over the city for two weeks. All the clubs would be featuring these bands that were coming into town, just play for that. And there'd be record label people there and panels and blah, blah, blah. And Gerard Cosloy, who ran uh, uh, Homestead Records first and then Matador Records, and who I had, uh, you know, kind of been friends with. Uh, he was from Boston and uh, I used to he used to do a fanzine. We would was exchange. Big, was, you know. was Big Dipper on Homestead? Who? Big Dipper 
Big Jepper was on, yeah. Big Jepper was on Homestead, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was that was a, that was an important label. Um, so anyway, I I I sent a copy of the demo to Gerard Cosloy, and he loved it. And I, he did a panel at I, I guess it was New Music Seminar or CMJ. I can't remember which one. And the panel was about um, you know how to make a good demo tape. Something and he played our tape as like an example of what he thought was a great, great demo. So all those things were happening at the same time. Um, and that that was I look back on it. That, that's pretty amazing to have that happen. Most you know very few bands have that sort of perfect storm of things going on. Yes. Uh, but you know I guess that speaks to that it, that the music is good. That I was right about it. The, the music was good. People were connecting with it. And people that I respected certainly. Gerard Cosloy, someone that was a huge influence on on my taste and very much a gatekeeper. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, you know, so yeah, we we're lucky. But you're still, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, trying to get uh airplay was, you know, um certain places they would play our stuff and certain places they wouldn't. Uh, you know, we did manage to get a video on MTV, which was pretty cool. Is this the hot blonde cocktail? Yeah, yeah, that was interesting because um, we uh, that that video um, at the time MTV was trying to launch a second network called M Two, which was supposed to be more uh, you know less mainstream, more underground music, and to generate interest and get people to subscribe to M Two. They were showing a sample hour of M2 on on uh, regular MTV in the middle of the day for a couple of weeks. And because of that, because we were in heavy rotation on M2 and they were doing that, we were sort of through the back door getting heavy rotation on main regular MTV for a couple of weeks. Um, but what was what was out going on was we had the record with um that we did on PCP, which is being distributed through uh, Matador, which was being distributed through Atlantic Records that time, the Love and Exile album. Atlantic had signed a deal with Matador to get, uh, I think because they wanted to get access to pavement. Right. And um, they really didn't follow through on um, making much of an effort to get good distribution for any of their other acts that were associated with with Matador or any of its subsidiary labels so the album wasn't getting into the stores people could see the video on MTV but if they went to ask for it in the chain record stores the tower or whatever mm. the big stores um you know the stores usually didn't have it they were we had it we had an album out at the same time that was all early archival material called Oily Cranks. And that was on a label called Atavistic that was being distributed by Touch and Go Records. And that was getting better distribution, but it was music that was very primitive and didn't sound, I mean, even more primitive than, uh, you know, what our, our music that we were, you know, what was newer at that point. So people were, people, the only record they could really get was, was was something that was not representative of what they would have expected from the hot blonde cocktail video. 
Oh, that's so disappointing. Yes, because because actually one thing that I noticed with doing this show a lot, um, there's a bit of a narrative, I suppose, with bands, a five-year narrative of getting together and they'd spend, you know, 12 months, you know, in the honeymoon phase and they'd get a single. We had a guy called John Peel who was this DJ. And oh, yeah. Then yeah. they'd get the John Peel session, the first album, then the second album. Chrome Cranks did, did a, job, a Peel session. Fantastic. We loved John Peel. I'll have to ask you that. But one thing that often destroys our British bands is when they, around that five year, three albums, is often when they go to America, that kind of finishes them off. It's like they came, you know, they often say, oh, we went to America and came back and we split up because it just was too much. But you, yeah. you know, what, what is it like for yourself being, you know, a tour in America yourself? And what is it, what's it like then when you come to Europe and Britain to do you know, at all. I just kind of was curious, really. Well, uh, it's definitely Europe and Britain are not the same thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we in in mainland in the in you know well you know I don't I don't know if that's dis disrespectful to say mainland, but on the continent, um, uh, yeah, we always got a great. Uh, people were just rabid, and and you know Germany and and Holland and Spain and France. Um, Switzerland, uh, people were just, you know, we got treated really well by the clubs and, and the audiences were just rabid and, and, and just totally loved us, uh, playing in England, you know, we, 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 we played some great shows and we loved playing there, but it was always more, um, I, I likened the feel, especially in London, um, we really only played in London and like one show in Brighton. We didn't really get to tour in England beyond that. But being in London, it felt like being in LA or New York where, you know, the club sort of made made it feel like they were doing you a favor more than you were doing their, them a favor. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, you know, the people that did come to shows, um, you know, that reception was really good and yes. uh, so you, know, you, and, did all, you did your John Peel session in bizarrely that almost the first week of January 1996 so mm -hmm. obviously you you were going quite all out there for the new year and this was you yeah. had a producer which was Mike Robinson at the Maid of Al Studios and you did, yeah. Yeah. you did five tracks wrong number we're yeah. going down 235 down so low and backdoor maniac so what was mm. your what was your memories of that session like it's interesting. It was it was amazing to be there. <clears throat> um, beautiful facility. Yeah, I remember they had the cafeteria. You know, you got to eat there for free. Or, um, yeah, be, uh, you know, beautiful neighborhood from what I remember. Uh, uh, although we were really, um, you know, we were very tired and very grumpy, <laughs> and not not um not you know and i'm sure for the engineers um you know i know we were we were always just seemed like dicks and and assholes and 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 uh at least at least speaking for me you know i think i i definitely came across that way and 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 um you know it was sort of a going through my prima donna phase i guess um so i i don't think it was the most pleasant session that they probably ever did i remember i remember they had there was a computer screen that had the name of the session on it and it said chrome crankies 
And, and I think they put that on there thinking that no one would notice. And I noticed and I, and I, you know, I called them out on it and uh, they were just sort of sheepishly changed it. And now I look back and just like, well, you know, that's pretty right on. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty, pretty accurate. Um, but you know, this, this, at, at a session, yeah, it, I mean, I, it, it, it turned out great. Um, uh, and I remember when it aired, it was funny, our publicist called me. <clears throat> I mean, I knew about pubs, appeal sessions and, you know, I had cassettes that I traded appeal sessions from bands, like, you know, when I was trading tapes and, you know, so I was well aware it was kind of a, a big deal, but the publicist called me the afternoon that they were going to play the session. And he said, John Peel is going to play your, your uh, session tonight on your appeal session tonight on BBC. Um, do you have any messages for the British people? And I didn't, I, I didn't really take it seriously. I thought he was sort of kidding. And I said, I said, uh, this was at the height of the, when Blur and Oasis were, you know, there was a sort of feud going on between Blur and Oasis that was yes. obviously designed to sell music papers the way rappers have feuds nowadays. And I said, oh, just tell them to get over it. Like both Blur and Oasis suck. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and then I thought like, oh, actually, you know, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm worried about, I don't know, that, that's what I said. Like, yeah, Blur, Blur and Oasis suck, like get over it. And I, you know, I, cause I didn't think he was really going to say anything. And then, uh, you know, years later I heard a recording that someone had done off the BBC that was, you know, and posted on YouTube and like John Peel's like, Oh, someone tonight from the Chrome Cranks, Peter Aaron and Marcus calling from New York said, uh, blur and oasis suck. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, feel like an incredibly huge idiot now for saying that um but you know that's yeah. Yeah. it did seem a bit childish at the time did it really the the great yeah. rivalry between the two well, to us it seemed like uh, at least to, you know that that was um very much a manu manufactured uh thing and that these that these these bands were sort of posy poncy i guess as as you as as y'all might say um, these guys were sort of, you know, uh, weren't a real band who had come up, you know, uh, making their music in basements and touring in, 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 in gritty vans and, uh, that they had, you know, had sort of sidestepped all that because they, you know, they could, um, you know, they were clothes horses or something, you know, um, <laughs> yes. but, you know, uh, but, you know, I mean, they, they each had a catchy tune here and there. I got in there. You know. Well, I guess it was it captured a bit of a time in the UK when it all felt, you know, at the you know, even though I mean, you got to remember the English. I can talk for the English. We like to moan. So if things are going well, we can still moan. But now we look back at that period and think, God, it was just so. Everything was so nice. Everything was so optimistic. There was so much going on. Yeah. There was world peace and everything yeah. was good. So we always find something to moan about a bit, but when we look back, you know, Brit there was this cool Britannia, there was like, I don't know, the end of a conservative government with John Major, who probably we'd now go, God, he was great. And then oh, yeah, yeah. Blair and New Labour, and that felt like a great honeymoon period. And so there was this yeah. kind of optimism. And on top of the pops, there was all these guitar-based bands like, yeah. you know, Elastica and Sleeper and 
pulp yeah. and you know obviously the other two major players but it, it did seem like there was a few years where things were good and obviously then as you know the party goes bad so then yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. so for you <laughs> it doesn't go bad but you your your last kind of studio album is is it love in exile yeah yeah 97 98 97 and then after that is this when you know another major european tour and then do you decide that's to quote jim morris in the end it was yeah yeah you know we had just been going you know non-stop you know, full on touring and recording for, for really a five year stretch with that lineup. And, uh, you know, we were not making money and, um, you know, and it's like, we weren't doing, we weren't doing, uh, you know, uh, easily, you know, uh, digestible music. So, you know, that that's kind of no surprise there, but we still felt like, you know, you'd see other bands that were doing uh, edgier, dirtier music that you know at least from the outside looked like they were uh solvent and able to pay their bills and <laughs> and uh you know we weren't at that point and and also uh uh you know it's like being in bands like being married you 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 uh you, you know it, there's there's tension and stuff that you you have to work out and and when you're in it you're not maybe seeing the best way to do that um yeah so it just kind of got to a point where it just it just imploded and uh you know kind of ran its course and and um and then uh years later we you know i don't know at least from my standpoint i i you know i reflected on that and learned a lot from it and and uh after going through that phase we reconnected and and uh decided to you know try it again just as a uh, for a couple gigs uh because there were archival album called diabolical boogie had come out and um and it it, it was great and even felt better than before and plus we all were much better and, you know the communication was much more open and and um so we decided to we just kind of kept going with it for we didn't decide we just kind of kept going with it for a couple years and and made another record and uh did some other tours um but you know it's 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 only going to get to the point where it's at you know so that kind of ran its course too and yes and, you know but it ended in you know i mean who knows what'll happen i mean you know um some of us are older than others and and everybody's got different things that they're doing in in life now you know um but you know it feels like it uh uh there was a kind of closure in a great way you know yeah so, did it did it was it quite a relief to have a the you know the second chapter and to be able to do oh, yeah. a new album with another couple of tours and come to Europe again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and so happy it happened. Just just because uh, it, more than anything else, it it got everybody to be friends again, and um, and uh, uh, the music became about just because doing it. You know, if it was if it was 
if we were doing it, we were doing it because it was fun and we wanted to do something good. And, and, um, you know, that, you know, that's, uh, that's what it was, you know, it just boiled down to that, which is how it should be. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're all friends now and stay in touch and, and, uh, we're all doing other very cool things, uh, musically. Yes. So, you know, so, uh, so it's actually, it, it's great. I couldn't ask for, you know, I That's mean, yeah, good. Sure. It's, know, it's great it, to have a happy ending. Well, cause you know, cause yeah. with the, with the kind of the bands coming back, I mean, yeah, there's, it's really split, isn't it? Some just, you know, some people can just read the room and just kind of enjoy the experience and, you know, yeah. say, ah, oh, that was really nice. Cause like you just said, it feels a bit like, Oh, that's quite nice that we can be like decent human beings and kind of move on from some of the issues we had and take responsibility and all that. And then one or two bands, it was like that was the worst thing we could have ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, they destroyed the myth. I mean, you know, it's 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 if if something came along where there was another opportunity and and um, every everyone wanted to do it and was on board with it, then then that would be great but you know um I, uh, yeah I, i'm certainly not looking for that i'm i'm you know got a, another great band now that i really love that i'm doing and and uh uh the other guys are are doing doing their thing too so so is your yeah. after you did your experience and did you go into sort of write you know writing and publishing yeah yeah I, I i was sort of left trying to figure out um when the crown cranks broke up in in 98 um uh or yeah 98 99 um yeah what you know what what am i going to do next and uh writing was something that always came natural to, naturally to me like like i said i i'd done a fanzine when i was younger uh, and I'd gone to uh, journalism school for a couple of years in Boston. Uh, I started uh, taking some some editing classes um, and uh, some sort of classes to get me just to give a, me a reason to start writing again. And and uh, uh, that led to becoming a copy editor at a weekly newspaper in New Jersey, and then. Uh, uh, copy editor and uh, music columnist at uh, Daily Newspaper in Kingston, where I live now, uh, Kingston, New York, and then uh, that led to me becoming a music editor and then arts editor of a magazine called Chronogram, which covers the Hudson Valley region uh, that I'm based in now, and uh, that begat writing books the last couple of years. My God, um, that's fantastic! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but now you know, I, had, I I felt like I had to choose between things at one point, and now I don't. Now, now I feel like uh, I can't not have music in my life. Um, uh, you know, playing music, I I don't. I, that's always going to be there, and in, in some capacity, and, and I, I don't have to eschew one for the other. You know. Yes. They, they both it kind of it, they both uh, influence each other, and the time away from each of the each of them influences each other. So, so. Was, so was your latest band the one called Young Skulls? No, that was a couple of years ago. The, the band I'm in now is the Stabbing Jabs. 
which stabbing uh, jabs. Yeah, which um, is we're we're mixing our debut album right now, and then we're gonna shop shop it to to labels. Oh my um, god, stabbing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that band features uh, that band started as a cover band uh, to uh, play an event that was uh, the 30th anniversary of one I booked a nightclub in Cincinnati called Murphy's Pub, and also uh, the release of the We Were Living in Cincinnati compilation that came out in 2019 that I put together, and. We started. It, we started the band just as a, a one-night thing to do covers of these early Cincinnati punk songs for this event, and it was such a. It was so much fun and such an easy and natural uh, experience that we just decided to keep it going with original material. And the band is uh, William Weber, the other guitarist from the Chrome Cranks. Uh, Chris Donnelly, who played played guitar in the last uh, lineup of Gangrene. I don't know if you know that band. Yes. Hardcore band. And uh, the drummer is Andrew Jody, who plays with Barents Whitfield and the Savages. God, we remember Barents. So, yeah, it was an, all these yeah. John, yeah. John Peel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, and it, 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 we're, we're looking for a new bass player now. Um, we, we lost a bass player, uh, uh, Tim Moore, who had been in a band called Hell Belly. He, he played, he played on, on, on most of the tracks we recorded. Um, but it's, it's uh, very, very excited about the band. It's, it's the, I, I got to say, it's like maybe the most, most enjoyable band I've, I've been in. Um, I'm only singing. I'm not playing guitar, which is, it, it's great to have to worry less about holding that down. <laughs> and the other guy other two guys are like phenomenal guitar players it, it's like being it's like being between like two cheetah chromes or something i mean both these guys are like it's like being i don't know between james williamson and cheetah chrome or james or or you know cheetah chrome and joe perry or something i mean it's very like straight ahead rock and roll hard rock uh and part of the reason it feels so good to be playing that music is because there's nobody doing it right now. There's, I don't think there's anybody, you know, uh, keeping, keeping that music in, in, uh, you know, that it, I can't really think of maybe one or two other bands that sort of are doing this kind of music and it, it feels really good. It feels like a statement to sort of dial things back to straight ahead punk rock and roll stop when everybody else is doing trying to do like clever variations of things of that you know yes so, so did you say you've got the album recorded it's just a matter of now finding the label right yeah we're, we're almost finished mixing it two two of the songs are covers of tunes off this uh, cincinnati punk compilation that we put together um but the rest of it is all all songs that i wrote and and you know the band arranged together um and uh they know exactly what to do with them it's 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 uncanny and telepathic and, and just amazing so my so, god yeah, this, we, is, this is this is what we need in this world nowadays isn't it i i that's part of the reason that, that you know that is that is that in a nutshell is why 
we're doing this and why I'm doing this because the universe needs this. This 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 needs this needs to exist, and I feel like it's putting something good into the world, into the universe by by doing this. I I I I, I feel like you know it it has to be done, and that's the entire reason for doing it. You know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> which is which is yeah a pure a pure feeling and thought and and consciousness now look just one kind of question that i i often ask but if you could have just kind of whispered something to your say your 16 18 year old self starting out i just wondered if there was anything that you would have gone yes that would have been really handy i mean just kind of some key moment or key thought that you've got from being on this planet for the last 58 years um mm -hmm. I just wanted to say it was just something, even if that younger self would have ignored you, which is probably the case. But um, is there anything you would have just kind of given anybody, you know, given that person a bit of advice or just wisdom or even say, you know what you're doing, keep doing that or, you know what you're doing, don't do that anymore. I would say, I would say, um, keep doing what you're doing if it feels good and it feels right. But outside of the actual uh, creative apps that you're you're doing um don't don't lose sight of where you of your place in you know in 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 the universe don't you know don't don't lose perspective uh, the big picture uh of of um you know how you're a, a piece of everything you know you're not you're not the be all and end all you're you're a part of everything and and you're a part of of uh the big uh uh of the cosmology working together you know um you know don't don't get don't get bigger <laughs> than your britches you know keep yes. keep your perspective keep your perspective and 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 see how everything is relative you know don't lose sight of that this is true now i'm thinking that, make, that makes sense i don't know it does make sense, but I am now thinking of Joni Mitchell's song with, with Stardust. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all, yeah. yes, I know. What you, you we know. are golden. We are golden. We are golden, and we've got to go back to the garden. There anyway, go. good old Joni. She's still with us, which is amazing. So, um, yeah. And a relief. But yes, I think um, that's that's wise. That's very good advice, really. And I think we all become a bit more humble and a bit more sort of... Hopefully. Some people don't. Some people... You know, you certainly look at, I mean, you know, yeah, it would have been nice to be, if you just define success by being rich and being, you know, sort of like, you know, financially secure, at least. Um, yeah, that, that, you know, all looks like it would have been sunny and nice. But on the other hand, like I, I, I having glimpses of the showbiz world and, you know, in through, through those exposure to some of that stuff um you know people that get to that point of uh of uh i don't want to say success because i don't think it really is success you know but that point of um celebrity or however you want to define it i mean they don't own their lives anymore you know they got to deal with they're surrounded by phonies and and leeches and um you know they it's um they make this faustian pact you know so um so in, in a lot of ways, I'm glad that I never had to contend with that. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, I know. It must be very strange, you know, because you probably haven't got one, one doesn't probably have that kind of awareness as they just at that moment, like quickly step away and run like hell, you know, you because you're kind of on it, aren't you? Like you just said, you're on this kind of Faustian pack and you can't just go, you know what, I'm just going to grab... I'm happy with this, I'm just going, you know, you know. But actually there's a couple of artists, I often wonder what they do and where they are because you had huge global success, but have just completely disappeared. I, I often, in my dream or my hope is that they just, they had that moment of thinking, you know what, I'm just gonna disappear now. I'm not gonna turn up and appear again. I'm, you know, people like Kate Bush, I know she did a few years ago, but people mm. like Enya, which is very unusual to think about Enya at this stage in my life, but I just think <laughs> they have all those record sales and then she just disappeared. And she yeah. hasn't come back and embarrassed herself. She doesn't feel like she's kind of lost the plot. I might mm. be making all this up, but um, it's mm. a dream I have. Because mostly people, you know, I, as I mentioned very much earlier, you know, I love the Smiths. They were they, that band. They had the lyrics. I loved everything. And then, you know, Morrissey spoiled her, hasn't he, really, with some of those yeah. comments. And you think... Yeah, yeah. If only you, if he'd have just disappeared and occasionally went, oh, I've got a new album. Don't worry if you don't want it. It's fine. I'm just enjoying myself. But... You know, well, I don't. I don't know if it's a case of where you know you just sort of like um, maybe is a different difficult uh, personality as far as being any kind of collaborator, just in the strictest sense of a collaborator. But also, um, you know, it seems like an example of somebody that um, lost the perspective that I was, you know, kind of what I was getting at before, and and um, you know, bought his own hype or whatever I, I, I've certainly I, I certainly for my level of anything like that I mean there was certainly it, it, you know back in the 90s you know I, I you know I kind of built up my own um, self myth to myself you know and that made it a difficult person for me to be in a band with um, so I guess I you know maybe relating and trying to understand the situation Maybe some of it applies to that. I, I, I don't know. Yes, well, you probably have that experience and, and sort of awareness that, um, yeah, you can imagine. You can probably yeah. wonder. Yeah, it's a bizarre one, really. Isn't it? Anyway, I'm so pleased you've got a new album. Well, hopefully coming out soon. So that'll be great. I have to yeah. go. I've just been... So if you want to know any more information about the Stabbing Jabs, mm. which um, this, you've got a Facebook page. Is there any other site yeah. that you can go to? No, that's it right now. Just, just, just that. Just that. That's enough. Yeah, yeah. That's enough. Yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah, we, yeah. we can find it. But um, I will yeah, check yeah. out because you've got lots of live videos on there, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. We've got, we got a, uh, we did a few gigs and we've got a couple of videos on there. And and uh, just earlier today I was revisiting, uh, you know, some of the mixes we've done, and it's 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 it sounds it sounds so good. It's it's. Uh, there's, I mean, it's, 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 um, you know, it's, it's rock and stuff, but it's, it's actually, I don't know. I think it, there's a little bit of um, kind of under the radar humor in, in, in the songs too, which is, uh, you know, that's something that's it maybe exists in the Chrome Crank stuff a little bit, but it's, it's much more a part of what's going on with, with the stabbing jabs. See, this is great, isn't it? You're still making your best work in, in, you know, I feel like this is the best stuff I've done, yeah. Yeah, which is which is a great feeling that you know one's not just kind of kind of going. Oh, yeah, well, a lot of <laughs> oh. it, a lot of it is just um, 
just uh, uh, being comfortable and and just sort of like you know um, coming back to uh, I think well this is what what I do and a lot of people you know can't for whatever reason they can't do this you know I can't uh, I can't play other styles of music uh, you know um, or in a certain way and no one else can do what I do in the way that I do it for whatever that's worth. And that applies to the band as a whole, you know, everybody else in it too. It's great that the whole band are all sort of, are sort of working at the same frequency, cosmic vibrational frequency. There you go. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because it's good when, you know, because I think then you can have magic in the air. Yeah, we all totally, I mean, I've played with, obviously I played with William a long time and Chris was in that hardcore band Sluggo with me back in the mid 1980s so you know we've known each other you know also like over 30 years and 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 um and andrew just coming in just understood exactly what to do i mean he's just like an incredible drummer very very um he swings you know which which brings a lot a lot to it um yeah it just it's just uh incredible really uh, amazing that it's one of those things we were sort of like it came together we chris the guitar player uh, has put it in this way he said this is like a flame and that needs to be cupped in the middle of a windstorm this is something that needs to be cherished and not taken for granted this combination of of people the songs and and the people that you know the people that are playing them um so we're we're really it, 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 we're really excited about it. It's, it's pretty, pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is fantastic. Well, Peter, this is fantastic. This is great news. So, um, yeah, no, thank, thank you so much for doing this, David, and 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 thank you for rolling me with me last week. Uh, yeah, no, the, God, that's absolutely fine. No, God, yeah. completely yeah. empathize on that one. But anyway, look, thank you. And if you want, I can always send you the link. Um, Please. To, to the interview and then you can always use it on your you know facebook page if you want totally will absolutely okay. will okay Fantastic. well look take care and uh look forward to the new album so there you go thank you so much i'll keep you in the loop yeah do that'll be great okay take care there peter have a great day all right thanks dave you well bye. you too bye-bye bye now that was me in in conversation with peter aaron finding about his life in music um you can find out more about him on his facebook page and various other places but uh, this has been the c86 show david Eastor. if you want to contact me you can on facebook twitter instagram as long as it's nice and uh, groovy uh, you could, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, do C86 show. And also all these interviews have been archived. Aren't you lucky? So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. That is true. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe.